Hello, and welcome to the Dutch Podcast Summer School Edition. I'm Dr. Jacqueline Smeaton, Chief Medical Officer at Dutch, and I'm thrilled you're here to learn more about hormone health and functional medicine. The Dutch Podcast is taking a break from its usual format to bring you some enriching conversations with our Dutch clinical educators. We'll be diving into case studies of actual Dutch reports and exploring how evaluating hormones and hormone metabolism can help you get to the root cause of your complex patient's problems. To learn more about Dutch testing and the extensive hormone education resources that are available for free to Dutch providers, visit our website at dutchtest.com backslash providers. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about a very hot topic, intermittent fasting. Now, research on intermittent fasting is still lacking, but a lot of clinicians are recommending it. And anecdotal evidence has suggested that it can support a lot of different patient types. But today, we're going to be talking about when intermittent fasting might be a beneficial stressor. We found out continuously eating throughout the day isn't so good for us. And now we're seeing the shift into, you know, it is good for our gut health to have these periods where we're not eating. It is good overnight to have, you know, a 12, sometimes longer period where we're not eating. So now we're seeing this shift, I think, in that direction. Versus a problematic stressor for your patient and what you might see in women who are very obviously different than the men in the research studies. In particular, cycling women, we do need to see a lot more research done, you know, the impacts on on fertility, on, you know, estrogen and progesterone levels. We do know that it can be very beneficial for lowering insulin levels and lowering androgens. So for people with PCOS, it can be a really amazing tool. And why you might think about doing intermittent fasting a bit differently with women. Today, we're joined by Kelsey Hojera, registered dietitian, licensed dietitian, and certified personal trainer. Kelsey specializes in functional gut and hormone health. She's part of our clinical education team at Precision Analytical, and she runs a virtual private practice. She works primarily with women who look to optimize their fertility, lose weight, improve energy, and heal chronic digestive issues through a holistic approach. That's basically everyone, Kelsey. It's like all women I love. (laughs) Yeah. But we're really excited to have Kelsey here today to talk about intermittent fasting and to help us learn a little bit more about how it can impact hormones, and even a little bit about the Dutch test. So thanks, Kelsey. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so excited. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, And it's nice to get, I would say, like one-on-one time, because we don't really get that very often, only it's like one-on-one plus thousands of listeners. So yeah, (laughs) one-on-one plus. It's great. So today we're going to talk about intermittent fasting. Tell me a little bit about like what is intermittent fasting? So I think when most people think about intermittent fasting, right, they're actually thinking about what we refer to and what's referred to in the literature as like time restricted feeding. That's that, you know, uh, my math is going to be off, but like the, you know, 14 hours fasted, eight eating, the 16, eight window, 12, 12, but intermittent fasting is really just any time that you're not eating. So it's like a fed versus an unfed state. Um, And so there's a lot of different ways that people can do it. Some people will do, you know, 24 hour fast. I actually knew a guy from high school and I would not recommend this. You guys, this is not recommended. He was not supervised. He just did it on his own. He did like a 40 day fast once. Wow. Yeah. That's intense. That's super intense. Definitely to the listeners. We are not making a recommendation. Yeah. I would not suggest doing that. That's not intermittent. That can yeah, that's for your hormones. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, there are centers like um, there's one in California, True North, which does supervised fasting, which can be really transformative for people's health. I've got 
um, a good friend and colleague that works there. And people will do up to 40 days fasted, but wow. it's doctor supervised and it's in-house, right? So you're like monitored daily. And then they refeed you really carefully. But yeah. that's not what we're talking about today is 40 days. Intermittent is like, like you said, kind of being intentional about the timing that you're eating and the timing that you're not eating within a 24-hour period, right? Or you said yep. maybe once a week or something. So this has been all the rage. And you're, you know, I've seen that, the different kinds of eating patterns that are recommended. Why do you think this has been rising to be such a popular thing to do? Well, I think that, you know, I've been in the health and wellness space since I was like 16 years old. And even before then, I did all of the different fad diets. And, you know, you had the bodybuilder thing, uh, way of eating that was really uh, pushed. That was, you know, eat six small meals a day. People were grazing a lot. And then, you know, things kind of ebb and flow. And so it's ebbed more into the intermittent fasting because we found out continuously eating throughout the day isn't so good for us. And now we're seeing the shift into, you know, it is good for our gut health to have these periods where we're not eating. It is good overnight to have, you know, a 12, sometimes longer period where we're not eating. So now we're seeing this shift, I think, in that direction. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting when you think about those times where we're not eating being important, like versus grazing. And when I was in school, we were taught grazing is best for blood sugar stabilization. Primarily, you wanted people to like never go two to three hours without yeah. eating, obviously, other than when they're sleeping. But the thought was you'd have blood sugar stability. But I think we do see, at least I'm learning a lot about it because I found out I had SIBO, that like periods of gut rest when you're not eating are just as important for your digestive tract as times where you are eating, particularly when it comes to things like microbiome and, and even digestive enzyme production and things like that. Um, yeah, I had SIBO as well. So I, that's what I was like, okay, I cannot be eating, you know, three snacks a day. It's not good for me. And so I think that, you know, in the gut health community, fasting has definitely taken on um, a lot of rave lately. And just in general, yeah. I think in the functional medicine space. Yeah, you see people recommending it for all kinds of things, you know, intermittent fasting and just for general kind of anti-aging purposes to try to get um, autophagy going and which is like cellular cleanup. If you think about it, it's like taking out the trash, basically giving your your cells a chance to kind of be at rest and regenerate. So, you know, obviously we're Dutch, so we focus on hormones. Is there a lot of information on intermittent fasting and the impact on hormonal health? Uh, somewhat, um, you know, the evidence is slightly lacking, um, but I think a lot more research is starting to come out. Um, and I do think that in particular cycling women, we do need to see a lot more research done, you know, the impacts on, um, fertility on, you know, estrogen and progesterone levels. We do know that it can be very beneficial for lowering insulin levels and lowering androgen. So for people with PCOS, it can be a really amazing tool. Um, but in terms of fertility for women in particular that are cycling, we do need more evidence to, you know, show, is it beneficial? And that's where, you know, if you are a practitioner that likes recommending intermittent fasting, um, testing your client's hormones can be really beneficial to see are, is this negatively impacting their fertility, you know, and also doing a full thyroid panel because we can see lowering in thyroid hormones as well. That's a great point. So making sure you get a baseline before you would, you know, put into place an intermittent fasting protocol. That way, when you remeasure or if you see changes, you can kind of check in to see if things are moving in the right direction. 
Now, what would be the main concerns for like a menstruating woman? You said that there might be some impacts on the cycle. Is it like changes in cycle length that you would possibly see? Well, so there's a few things. One, fasting is one of the, I, mean, I can never say this word properly, so I apologize, but horm, horm, I know it's hormesis, hormesis. but horm, hormetic, it would be hormetic. Hormetic. Yeah, hormetic. Okay, that's the part that I can never pronounce. <laughs> um, so it is a stressor on the body and it can be a beneficial stressor, but with, with fasting um, and intermittent fasting, we do see a rise in cortisol levels, which can be really helpful if people do have lower cortisol levels. Um, but if people have high cortisol levels, that would be something to just be mindful of monitoring that. Um, and then some people can lose their period. Um, so, you know, watching is their cycling all of a sudden getting longer? Are they having irregular cycles? Are they having any, um, increased PMS symptoms or low estrogen symptoms? Those would be some things to be monitoring. Um, you know, same with low androgens, if they don't have high androgens beforehand, or if they have lower androgens, we could start to see a fall in those and, you know, hard time putting on muscle, fatigue, uh, brain fog. And it, it typically, in my opinion, it probably wouldn't come on fast. It would be slow and gradual. And so you definitely want to be monitoring and, you know, letting your patients know ahead of time that these are some negative things that if they do start happening, making sure that they're communicating that with you so you can change plans if needed. That's such a great point. And, you know, definitely when it comes to cycles, we know that one of the biggest reasons why cycles stop for women is, let's say like an imbalance in energy intake, right, is one of them. So, and also high levels of stress would also cause that where the hypothalamus and pituitary gland kind of stop communicating with the ovaries and the cycle stops. It's called hypothalamic amenorrhea. So that is so interesting that intermittent fasting, like, you know, everyone has different resilience and different sensitivity yeah. that some people might be so sensitive that even restricting the time of eating might be too much of a stressor and kind of trigger the same thing that you might see in, you know, people that experience eating disorders or our elite exercise, you know, elite training where their caloric needs are super, super high. That's really interesting. Yeah. And I can say from a personal standpoint, I do absolutely terrible with intermittent fasting. And, you know, I have a lot of clients that when they come to me, they already have some sort of a history of disordered eating. And so it's also, you want to be really careful that you're not, that you know your patient's history ahead of time. So you're not accidentally recommending something that could be detrimental um, and pushing them further into a disordered eating pattern. That's a history that I have as well. So I have to be really mindful of that. Yeah, I'm really glad you're bringing that up because a lot of patients in the functional medicine sphere, even if it's not a traditional disordered eating pattern like anorexia or bulimia, we all really can be really um, like picky about food or food quality, food chemicals, cookware. Like, and I think it can get to a point where the, you know, one of my teachers was always like, food should be nourishing to us. That means when we think about food, it should be a nourishing emotional experience too. And sometimes when we're imposing more structure, whether it's elimination diets or low FODMAP or intermittent fasting, that we have to think about the emotional implications on patients and whether they're like equipped to have that be part of a healing process or whether that would be a stressful, negative thing for them. I'm really glad that you brought that up. Yeah. And something as well is 
yes, like there can be really great benefits to intermittent fasting. And I just think that, you know, not bringing shame to people that don't experience it well, because there's, it's really hard to find information online about any negatives with intermittent fasting. I think it's become this huge thing. And for my clients that have come to me that are really uh, well researched into intermittent fasting and the ketogenic diet as well, they have a really hard time breaking that because there's not very much information out there of any negatives. So then they feel terrible when they find out that intermittent fasting is negatively impacting their hormones, is negatively impacting their health. And trying to break that can be really challenging for a lot of people. Hmm. Yeah, really interesting. So you mentioned that intermittent fasting can affect menstrual hormones, and you also mentioned that it can affect cortisol. Can we talk a little bit more about the HPA axis and how intermittent fasting influences that? I mean, I know a lot of information is unknown, but based upon your clinical experience and what you know, what you've seen. Yeah. So I think there's a few things that are interesting. One is, so on the Dutch test, when we're looking at the Dutch plus that looks at the car, which is the cortisol awakening response. And that's looking at someone's resiliency to stress. And so there are cases where with intermittent fasting, because of the hormetic effect, I said it properly. There we go. Because of the hormetic effect, sometimes you can see actually an improvement with um, intermittent fasting in their car. So if people have like a dipping in their car or a low car, we can see a positive, um, you know, influence there from that um, hermetic effect. But then in terms of cortisol as a whole, we can see an increase in um, cortisol production, so serum cortisol. And then um, something else that's interesting with the Dutch test, we also look at metabolized cortisol. So there's something that we talk about often, which is called slow cortisol clearance or fast cortisol clearance. And this is where serum cortisol levels are low and, or I'm not explaining this very well. So that's when serum cortisol and the metabolized cortisol dials aren't facing the same direction. And people with insulin resistance can have higher metabolized cortisol than serum cortisol. And that can be due to insulin resistance. So, you know, we kind of mentioned earlier that um, intermittent fasting can be really great at lowering insulin levels. So if someone is dealing with that and they start intermittent fasting, you could see a lower in that lowering in that metabolized cortisol and an increase in their um, cortisol in a positive way when it previously would have been low. Very I hope cool. that was explained well. I feel like that was. Yeah, weird. I think so. I mean, I think when I think about cortisol, I think about the levels we see on that diurnal curve. Yeah. And then metabolites. I think a lot of people, and I don't know if you listeners use the metabolites as much because it's a little bit more of like an advanced concept when it comes to Dutch testing, but it's important to pick up that information because like you said, Kelsey, there's times where the diurnal curve might look low or high, but then you see that the metabolites are off and it's not due to like a production of cortisol issue, which is always yeah. what we think. If the cortisol is low on the cortisol curve, they must not produce a lot. We should like support them to help them produce more cortisol. But if you see low cortisol paired with high metabolites, they're actually making a ton of it. They're just metabolizing yeah. it very quickly. And you don't want to have them make more. You want to just slow down the metabolism, right? As, as far as like a root cause. Yeah, I feel like there's so many wonderful pieces of the Dutch test. And that has to be my favorite piece. As a dietitian, I'm like, I'm obsessed with it, you know, if it's too low and cortisol is high. So basically the person is breaking down their cortisol way too fast, which is why they have high cortisol levels. And that can actually be from under eating. 
So, you know, if someone is doing intermittent fasting accidentally under eating significantly, we could see the opposite happening. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's a big concern for me with patients is like most people that do intermittent fasting, they'll skip breakfast and then just kind of eat their first meal at lunchtime. And so their eating window would be like 12 to 8 p.m., for example, if they were doing like a 16 hour fast, eight hour feeding period. But a lot of times people don't realize that it's not about skipping breakfast. It's about getting the same amount of calories in a shorter period of time. And they just don't make up that. So that seems like that could be a really big risk from what you said. Yeah. And most women in particular don't get enough protein in their diet to begin with. And so I would say that a lot of women that come to me, yes, they might have digestive issues and hormonal issues, but they're like, I want to look more toned. I want to lose weight and getting in enough protein is so important. And so if you are doing intermittent fasting, it's extremely important to be getting in bigger blocks of protein and still aiming to get in big chunks of protein, probably 30 to 40 grams, three times a day for optimal muscle. Um, That's helpful. What does that equate to 30 to 40 grams? That would be like a large chicken breast or like one and a half kind of small chicken breast. A large chicken breast would be about 30. And then, you know, if you have like quinoa with it, let's say you have some beans and stuff. I mean, you could easily get up to 40 there. Okay, great. Yeah. It's tough to get enough protein. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Now, what about sleep? Do we know anything about intermittent fasting and whether it impacts sleep at all for people? Um, It can. I think it's important to look at someone's uh, feeding window or eating window, (laughs) whatever we want to call it, right? Um, So there's a lot of research that's been done on people that start eating in the morning and then they stop around 4 p.m. And what can happen is because they're going such a long time into the night without eating, your body wants glucose. And so in order for your liver to release glucose, um, it's going to increase cortisol in the middle of the night. Let's say if you haven't ate since like 4 or 5 p.m. Versus if you're eating at up until 8 p.m., let's say, and let's say you go to bed at 9.30, that can be too close to when you're going to sleep and affect your REM sleep, so your sleep's not going to be as deep. So some people listening, I know uh, our bodies are so complex and food is, you know, getting the perfect diet can be so challenging. And so my recommendations are don't stress. It's going to make it worse. You know, all this information should just be additional information and not a stressor on how to make things the most perfect and you know, meticulous. Yeah. And it sounds like with intermittent fasting, really, there's probably different plans that work better for different people. And I know the research out there is primarily on men. So it's like a 16 and eight schedule for men. And we know that women are not just men with uteruses. We're like really different. And so I think it's really prudent, like until there's better, I think there's only like two studies that have been done on women. It's a really small body of research that we are really attuned to how our patients are responding, like you said, really paying attention to that. And I love your idea of making sure that you're really documenting their baseline before you start that, like through hormone testing, but also just through menstrual patterns and maybe how they feel generally through the day to make sure that if they do have that slow change, like you talk about, you pick up on it and can make appropriate modifications for them. And maybe think about something that's not so strict as like a 16 and eight, like maybe a 12 and 12. You know, my, my fertility patients ask me about that a lot. And I'm like, you can't fast for more than 12 hours. Like that's just yeah. because we don't know or just worry about that. Um, but I think you're right. Like certain patients, it can be beneficial 
but other patients are going to be harmful. Yeah, it's super interesting. I always like to think about ancestrally, right? You know, men would sometimes go days without eating. Like they would have to, they were the hunters. They would get together in tribes and they would go out and hunt where the women and the children stayed back. We'd be foraging and we typically got fed, you know, all the leftovers. And so I just find Mm -hmm. that interesting that um, from that perspective, it's like, I think science is wonderful. I think sometimes if we can think back to our roots, a lot of it makes sense. You know? Yeah. Yeah. We've done a lot different in the last 50 years compared to the last like 50,000 years, you know, as far as human have gone. Yeah. Great. Well, this has been super interesting. And I do have one more, like just surprise question for you that I'm going to throw out there because we're really excited to have you on the team as a dietitian um, because we have a lot of customers who are dietitians and when, you know, I'm a naturopathic doctor, the tools that I would normally go to, to be able to help someone when I get their Dutch test results back can be a little bit different than what dietitians do. And so we're so grateful to have your input on the team because I think you can really provide for other dietitians a little bit more helpful feedback, in-scope recommendations, things like that. Can you share a little bit about how you as a dietitian like look at the Dutch test maybe a little bit differently than like an MD or a naturopathic doctor might? And for dietitians out there who are thinking, maybe I want to do this, but I'm not sure whether it's something that I should be doing in my practice. Like I'd love for you to share your thoughts on that. Yeah. So I feel like one of the biggest differences that I see personally with dietitians compared to naturopaths, and this is not a one on like across the board, dietitians do a lot of coaching in our services. So I meet with my clients. um, It used to be weekly. Now I meet with them biweekly. So I'm very, you know, one-on-one with them. And I think it's really neat with the Dutch testing. It adds this deeper layer of um, just understanding how their body is functioning um, at a hormone level and really understanding the symptoms that they're having. So, you know, we're all about lifestyle changes, right? And diet. Um, And then really getting to see how that, like, I don't know how to explain this other than to say that, like how those lifestyle changes and how those diet changes can really, you know, be seen in the Dutch test. And then I think there's a lot of really cool clinical pearls with Dutch testing. So, you know, if someone has low androgens, you know, zinc deficiency, same with low progesterone, we're thinking vitamin A, vitamin E, magnesium. And the one thing that I want to say, and this goes for anyone, I don't, it doesn't really matter what your specialty is. Um, You can only help people with the knowledge that you know. And so, you know, when you first get into Dutch testing, you are not going to know as much as the clinical team does. You're going to call in, you're going to be like, am I, should I even be doing this test? Like they know so much. Am I even going to be helping my patients? And the answer is yes, you are. Um, You know, just take the time to listen to the resources that are available and help your patients with what you can. And I think that that is really great because you never know, they more than likely wouldn't be getting that help at all if it weren't for your expertise, whoever's listening. Absolutely. And that's a great note to end on. So thank you so much, Kelsey, for joining us today. You're so welcome. And thanks for having me again. We are so grateful you could join us for this interesting and informative dialogue. If you want to learn more about hormones and hormone testing with Dutch, there are many resources available to you when you become a Dutch provider. Register today at dutchtest.com backslash providers to gain access to free educational tools like the Mastering Functional Hormone Testing Course, a self-paced online course designed to help you become a hormone expert. 
Dutch providers also have exclusive access to the Dutch Interpretive Guide, which is full of insights that will help you apply Dutch testing in your practice. And our Dutch clinical educators host one-on-one and group consultation sessions where providers can learn how to interpret patient reports. Become a provider today to learn more about how to access these resources through the Dutch Provider Portal. And thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us again.